And a very warm welcome Thank you for tuning in You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony And I'm your host Etienne McClintock By the Word of Their Testimony Is based on Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 Where we read And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb And by the word of their testimony And they did not love their lives to the death In the studio with me today Is a special guest Pastor Andrew Russell Andrew welcome Hi, Etienne. Nice to be here. Thank you. It's lovely to have you here. Now, Andrew, you're not a stranger to 3ABN uh, Studios. You're a regular participant in the weekly Sabbath School lesson discussion program hosted by Pastor Mike Browning called Let God Speak. That's right. So you're an old hand at this, really. So it's <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Getting there. <laughs> but look, welcome to radio. It's good to have you in the radio studio for a change. And I look forward to hearing your testimony and how God has changed your life. So perhaps we should just start with what you're currently doing. What are your current responsibilities? Well, currently I'm the associate pastor at uh, Waitara Church, Waitara Seventh Adventist Church in Sydney. Right. Um, I'm working with a senior pastor there in the name of Roger Governor. Oh, Roger Governor. Now, he's a ex-South African. He's an ex-South African as well. That's right, right. And so are you and so am I. Right. That's right. We're, we're taking over slowly, aren't we? Don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> okay, that's good to hear. And so... Andrew, are you, are you married? Are you? I am, um, yeah, married to my lovely wife, Kim. And we have three children, um, Ellen, Hannah, and Sean. Wonderful. Oh, it's good to hear. I've not met your family yet, but, uh, yeah, three children. That will keep you busy between the pastoring, looking after the church, and looking after the family. Very busy, very yeah. busy. My wife's a flight attendant as well, so sometimes she's away, and we we juggle. We juggle a little wow. bit. Wow, Okay. But, um, but, you know, God is good. You sound like a modern-day family. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> well, look, Andrew, uh, we obviously mentioned that you're from South Africa originally, but maybe we should start right back at the beginning. Um, where were you born? I was born in Cape Town in South Africa. Oh, what a beautiful place. It is a beautiful place. I was born in Cape Town as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good. Many moons ago now, <laughs> half, a, half a century ago. But a beautiful place and still one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah, so you grew up there. Um, what was life like for you growing up? Well, at the time, um, we lived under the apartheid government. Yes. And, of course, they were that was a government that uh, had uh, segregational laws. Mm. So mm. people were separated based on the color That's of their right. skin, essentially. Yeah. Whether so, you want to use public uh, facilities or you want to get on the train or the bus, there were separate buses and trains and so on for people. That's right. And yeah. also you were certain places where you could live and certain places where you couldn't live. That's right. That's right, right. So you grew up in that era. I grew up in that era. Mm. So right. did that have an effect on you at all? Did you experience some things which were quite difficult? It was certainly, uh, I mean, you, certainly something you wouldn't wish upon any child. Sure. Um, yeah, so, I mean, look, essentially I was part of the colored community. There was three categories, you know, the native blacks, the white community, and then the colored community. Oh, so yes. I was part of the mixed colored community. Right, okay. Um, yeah, so we never had all the privileges uh, mm. that the white community had. And, right. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you felt, I mean, even as a child, you know, you felt, Marginalized, mm. you realize. You now I was, 
kicked off the beach, you know, being a white beach when I was a kid, you know. Oh, really? Police came and asked us to move off and, you know, you know you're quite aware of where you sat on the bus or on the train. And, um, wow. Yeah, so it wasn't very, wasn't very pleasant from that aspect. Sure. But, but I think the greatest challenge was, you know, just in, in, in light of that, that country and what it was going through in the oppression from that government and, mm. and so forth um, it was the fact that, you know, we live in a country that had very, very high crime rates. Mm. And uh, I remember constant boycotts, riots, and, uh, you know, because of the crime um, factor, gang-related violence was quite prevalent. Sure. So, yes. so I recall as a child just having my wits about me at all times. And mm, mm. I remember our school being stormed uh, by protesters and so forth. And Oh, really? Being caught in riots, struck with a rock when I was young um, in riots. Um, yeah, so there were some, some quite mm. significant challenges to, to a young lad. Yeah, no, I could imagine. So uh, how old were you when you ended up leaving South Africa? Um, I spent my childhood there, left at 12 years 12, of age, okay. and we migrated to Australia. Hmm. So th- when you grew up, uh, did you grow up in a, uh, in a Christian household? Or? Yes, um, we had, um, we had a, a Christian faith. Hmm. Um, there was um, the influence of the Anglican um, faith from my Christian faith from my, I guess, my father's side, my grandmother's okay. side. My mum's side was Catholic, Okay, but uh, growing up, we predominantly spend our time in the Catholic Church and going to, I attended Catholic schools. Catholic schools as well, okay, the first 12 years. So you had uh, some level of faith and some level of understanding about God, so you believed in the existence of God and, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, we. I think what did it for me was um, really some of the children's Bible stories, you know, as a kid. Okay. Reading some of those stories, you, you know, um, uh, recognizing that, you know, this, you know, this is supposed to be the Son of God and His ministry of you know, his powerful ministry of healing. Mm. Um, but then not only that, this ministry of forgiveness. Uh, right. So that that kind of grabbed my attention, you know, grabs the attention of a child, not only the miraculous healings and so forth, but then also this forgiveness, this compassion. And um, that was the first thing. The second thing was uh, living in, in, in those conditions in South mm-hmm. Africa. My grandmother would always encourage us to pray and, and and the fundamental well let's say the main prayer that we prayed was lord keep us safe today right keep us sure. safe you know we that. pray that in the morning and the evening it'd be lord thank you for keeping us safe today mm. and i i saw the hand of god in that in that environment i recall um running into a, a youth gang one time well actually they were waiting for a friend of mine so in South Africa, if you didn't do too well in school, you didn't just uh, you know graduate to the next grade. You know yeah. they kept you in the same grade. So I had until you passed. Yeah, until you passed. Yeah. So I had an older friend that was a few years older than me, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, he said that some guys were after him. And this particular day, uh, they, he said that they were waiting for that they should they said they were going to be waiting for him after school. So mm. being brave young lads as I was and some of my other friends, we said, "Don't worry, we'll stick behind you, Chachi." And, yeah. Um, but walking onto that field that day, I realized, oh, this is a whole different situation to what I thought. So we had about oh, wow. 20 gang members waiting for us. And, right. um, were they armed or were they just going to be a fisticuffs? Oh, they, they were usually armed. You know, mm. um, Cape Townians were known for their knives. Knives, so sure. Forth. Yeah. But it just so happened that uh, that, that day as we came, there was, um, well, they were threatening at first. The leader, Step 40, was threatening. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I realized how serious the situation was. And then he happened to 
glance across to me, and I hadn't recognized him at this point, but as he looked over my way, I happened to really take a closer look at him, and I realized he was some guy from my neighborhood, lived just a few doors up from me. Oh. And when he saw me, even though we never knew each other, he just started to back off straight away. You know, he, he, he stopped threatening, and uh, and I don't know what happened the day, but he had a change yeah. of mind. I don't know if it was because just because he saw me, or I don't know, I thought maybe... Maybe he knew my father or something. My father grew up in the neighborhood. I'm not sure. Okay. But things changed, and he just and they just let us walk away. Wow. So I went home that night and said, Thank God for oh, another safe day. <laughs> thank you for that day. You know. <laughs> another time, yeah. Um, yeah, 12 years old, you mm. know, you think a school kid with 12 years old walking down the street with his friend uh, wouldn't get into trouble. But yeah. a couple of guys tried to rob us. One guy pulled a knife um, mm. my friend's throat. Another guy had a makeshift gun. And I mean, th- things were quite desperate there. Yes. And uh, and that was, I think, maybe three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon mm. on a weekday. And at that very moment, um, you know, I kind of was looking around for help. And my mother just happened to be walking past on the street above at that very, very moment and just happened to glance down. Mm. And I kind of signaled to her and she started coming down and they took off once they realized. So these were you know, young kids as well trying to... These were young guys, yeah, guys. trying to, yeah. So just little things like, and I thought, you know, again, pray that night, Lord, thank you for mm-hmm. keeping me in your care today. And so I felt that from a young age that, you know, nothing just happens for no reason at all. You know, there, sure. is, a, there is a hand there that we do not see, mm-hmm. and he seems to have engaged in my life on on more than a couple of occasions. Okay, so prayer in the morning and prayer at night, and you felt that God often... Protected as you'd requested, so you had a, you had a faith at that time, and obviously you were exercising that faith best of your knowledge and understanding. That's so right. So your your I think you're saying your grandmother was talking about you know some of the principles of Christianity. Was forgiveness ever something that was challenged? Where you went through some really tough experience and go, oh, how can I forgive a person like that? Especially you know growing up in the apartheid era and that. Was that ever challenged or not so much? Uh, yeah, it was. Look, there was one occasion. It's mm-hmm. a good question you asked there, Tiana. But I remember at 12, actually. I think it was 12. So it wasn't long before we came to Australia. So, mm-hmm. But uh, someone came to me and said to me, you shouldn't play, you know, you shouldn't include this this boy, Justin, in, in, in your group. And we would often play with him. He was the only white kid in the neighborhood. You know? right. <laughs> Lived a few doors up. Yeah. And oh, that was very challenging. That was quite, uh, I, you know, no one's ever confronted me mm-hmm. with that. And um, good intentions. They valued my safety and, you know, had some genuine concerns. And perhaps, uh, you know, playing with him, someone may have come over or a few guys may have come over and caused some trouble. Yes. But I remember after that, having, you know, thinking about that. And at that point, I thought, you know what? Uh, I've seen enough here. Um, you know, with this, with the violence and this, you know, this segregational stuff, I mm. thought to myself, and I made a decision that I will never treat anyone as what I've seen people treated here. Mm. So I don't care, white, black, colored, yellow, whatever. You became colorblind. <laughs> I became colorblind. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Good. So, um, yeah. Wow. I never, at I never, the age of, that was around the age of 12. That was at 12. That's yeah. a big decision for a 12-year-old to make, but yeah, yeah. wonderful. And my dad was a carpenter, so we sometimes do jobs, uh, you know, so you had some carpentry work in, in different homes, including some of the white homes in the yeah. community. And, um, and and some of these people were lovely, and, mm. you know, and I thought, wow, you know, not everyone's like that. You sure. Know? So, again, I, you know. Yeah. 
Well, some. apartheid was actually voted out by a white uh, government through a de- democratic vote amongst the whites. Obviously, the blacks and the coloreds weren't, and Indians weren't involved in that vote. Oh, that's right. But uh, the majority actually wanted to go that way, yeah. So not everybody, as you not say. Not everybody, yeah. yeah. That's right. Interesting. So uh, I don't know if there's anything else we need to add about your 12 years in South Africa. There was uh, quite a mouthful already. <laughs> yes. But if there's anything interesting, please feel free to share that. But otherwise, sure. we can now step from that to you coming over to Australia, I think, was the next port of call for you. Yes, that's right. At the age of 12. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I think just with, uh, you know, I think particularly after I was uh, caught in a riot hmm. and uh, and struck, my father and I both, you know, and uh, it was the military that actually saved us that day. From the right, that the army turned up in just right. in the nick of time. So I think that may have been a catalyst for some serious consideration to move to mm-hmm. Australia. Mm-hmm. We had some family members that had moved here okay. here years ago, and we had a few members. I found my grandmother moved over just a little bit before we moved as well. Yes. So I think we thought, okay, maybe a good idea. Um, and so we made really essentially made the the decision to to move away from that environment mm. and to, I guess, look for something better and, and a better future, as my mum said, particularly for the kids. You know, sure, so. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess something to say in regard to South Africa before we left, mm. um, yeah, God had furnished my faith in the way that, uh, that I'd explained earlier. Mm. Um, but one of the things that I found challenging was, I guess, a little bit of my family life um, over there, um, what uh, it caused a bit of confusion, and I think that that kind of interrupted that that innocence of a child and mm. that 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 kind of pure faith, if you like. You know, not sure. that I was without childhood faults. Of course, I had that. Sure. But um, yeah, I, I family get-togethers were quite big mm. uh, in my family, and in some of those get-togethers would be a lot of drinking, a lot of alcohol, right? Uh, a lot of. Um, uh, and then the profanity would come out, okay. Um, okay. a lot of crude jokes and so forth. Mm. But everyone would be laughing and everyone would be having, carrying apparent, on. Seeing, ha- apparently having a good time. Having a good time, you know. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I found that hard to reconcile as a, as a kid. I thought, mm. you know, here's Jesus and this compassionate person, this perfect individual. Mm. I understood as a kid also, you know, that he was sinless. Yes. Um, and, and he was this wonderful example and yet, uh, when I saw some of these things take place, yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure so how what, that how it kind of fit together with our faith. Sure. So, were all your family Christian? Did they all have Christian beliefs, or some of them yeah. more secular? No, they were all okay. they were all professed a faith in God. Yeah, oh, okay. all professed a faith in God. You know, as I was listening to your story, I could relate. Uh, but my family, in general, especially my dad's side, were predominantly secular. Yes. So they also had really good parties, as far as you know, the world would consider them to be good drinking yeah. and so on, and then. Language would change and so forth. I think they call it religious secularism. Religious, okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, you have these big parties Friday night, Saturday night, you smell the alcohol on your parents' breath, and then Sunday morning you get up, you go to church. Go to church, know, yeah. So. yeah. Except on my dad's side of the family, not many went to church. There was only a oh, handful okay. that actually went to church. Most of them were just secular. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay interesting. So then from there you um, moved to Australia, and life in Australia would have been very different. Very different. I mean, it took a little while to adjust. Right. To understand what freedom really looked like, mm. um, I think I was one of two coloured kids in my school. I, I, we moved to the northern beaches of Sydney, right? And I attended a Catholic uh, boys' school there. Okay, um, but it was good. I mean, we enjoyed the beaches, of course. We enjoyed the, the weather over here too, um, and yeah, so things went well. 
Um, and then, uh, yeah, until I hit, I guess, 15, 16 years of age, you know, you mm. start to come of age and mm. start to think, start to want to be an adult, really, a bit more. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so um, I guess that's when things took a different path for me. Okay. And uh, But up to this point, you were still a person of faith. Obviously, you didn't have to pray that prayer of protect me in the morning and the thank t- you for protecting me at night because right. that that need wasn't obviously hardly as great here in Australia as it was in, That's in South right. Africa. Yeah. So the faith in South Africa was, uh, you know, was a much needed. It was very genuine. You know? sure, sure. And uh, yeah, but over here, no, we still attended Catholic Church mm. over here. Um, but I guess, you know, once you hit those teenage years, you know, you get preoccupied with other things, friends yes, and yes. the social environment and um, technology and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so you you set up to about the age of fifteen. So what started happening at fifteen that sort of suggests that there was a transition at that stage? I had my first alcoholic drink at that stage. Okay, <laughs> so you've seen it happen in the family at the parties, but this is the first time you actually tried a bit of alcohol. Yeah, look, I, yeah. look after seeing what happened in South Africa. I know as a kid, I said, you know what, I, you know, I'm not. Even though I was a bit confused by what I saw. Mm. Um, what was essentially hypocrisy, right. I um, decided that, you know, I'd never drink or smoke. Mm, yeah. mm. But by the age of 15, I um, was at a party and it was a relative actually that okay. said, hey, he's getting old and he can have a little drink, you know. And of course that had an effect. Mm. And then by the time I turned 16, um, yeah, had a, you know, started to go out a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, much to my parents' dislike at that age, you know, you're still quite young. Sure. But I'd uh, just kind of disappear and then, yeah, come home. But really, 17, once I hit those, you know, last two years of, of high school, mm. 17, 18, and then beyond that was then really time for yeah, p- lots of parties, nightclubbing. Okay. And, and that was, yeah. was it mainly because of your friends and the influence of your school friends or was there some family influences around? Because your first drink was actually a family member that bought yeah. you a drink. So. Yeah. Look, it was obviously it, it began with the family mm. and um, – you know, once you take that first drink, you realise you know it has an, an effect that that mm. seems good and sure. And uh, you know, you tend to relax, and so you have a few more. And mm. so I think, yeah, and and it it doesn't seem to be that bad, you know, when you when you're doing that for the first couple of times. So yeah. uh, you're laughing, you're having fun, mm-hmm. uh, being a bit silly, with you, and yeah, and then when the, once the friends come into the equation, it's yeah, it's just a follow-on really. So sure. So yeah, with uh, you know, with friends, it was you know being invited to parties, you know, checking out nightclubs, and I remember that time was quite easy to get into nightclubs. You know, sixteen, seventeen years of age, we were in the nightclubs already. Oh wow! You didn't really, you know, they weren't so strict on ID as they mm-hmm. are today. So you looked uh, older than you were, because as a twenty normally to get in, I don't know what the age is. Eight, eighteen, 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 okay, 18 so it was. you were close enough to yeah. that age. Yeah. And music was always a big part of us, uh, you know, our growing up. Mm. So you know, dancing was a big part of that. So. You know, right. when we hit the clubs, there was lots of dancing. I used to rap and you know, do I used rap to dance rap. and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Wow, okay. Hip-hop. Right, right. Understand. Okay, so you uh, you get into this scene, and uh, what happens uh, after once you leave school? What do you what do you do? Um, well, once I leave school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay. Actually, I was uh, still unsure. I think I had a, my fill of of studying. Once sure. I finished year 12, so I yeah. thought, you know what, I'm just going to work. Mm. So I did. I, I went through a myriad of different jobs that year. <laughs> yeah, I, just, 
I, you know, I started, I, I think, I worked with my, my dad. He had a wholesale, wholesaling pine furniture company. Okay. So I did some woodwork with him. Hmm. Um, I, yeah, I did some warehousing. I moved into, I did some sales. I, um, probably the main industries I worked in, I guess, after a little while was I, I ended up in orthopedics, working for an orthopedic company. Oh. Um, so we would, um, I would coordinate the, um, the distribution of orthopedic equipment for surgeons mm. um, in New South Wales and then for the other offices interstate. Right. Yeah, so I was there and I enjoyed that. Um, and then following that, I went into tourism okay. where I met my, my lovely wife, Kim. Oh. So she trained me as a tour guide. Is that <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then following that, I went into the health and fitness industry after a while and that's kind of, yeah. That was probably the three main things, but I did a lot of lot, lot of different things in between okay. as well. Okay, so when you got into health and fitness, was that sort of gym or was it just what sort of? Yeah, I worked for a sports a sports management company, and we would uh, manage gyms and uh, leisure centres. So you have to be quite fit as well. You had to sort of not really look the part. No. Oh, no? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I I was more on the sales side. Okay, and uh, and then moved into management. Yeah, so we'd, mm. we'd manage those sites on behalf of those. Okay, so some resp- yeah, some responsible jobs that you had there. That's right. Yeah, so work during the week, and then weekends would still be the you know the, the social life would still continue. And yes, yeah. So you know, with the social life, it, yeah, it definitely continued, and it began to impact. Really began to impact. Um, I guess my work mm. performance and my commitment as well. You know, you're having big nights. Sure. And those big nights that sometimes would go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then turn up to work on Monday. Monday would be a hard day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's uh, look at school, particularly year 11, year 12. Mm. I, um, you know, that's where I, things progressed for me. So, mm. I, you know, I used to drink and, and, as I said, drink and dance and all that. But then um, it started with a little puff on a cigarette. You know, someone offering you a cigarette. Right. And uh, so I started smoking. And then once you've done that, you know, it's... It kind of escalated from there. So beyond that, I was offered a smoke of you know marijuana. And, sure, yeah. And then that opened mm. the door, you know, to other things. And I ended mm. up doing some more chemical, you know, cocaine and you know, rush right. and MDMA and wow and uh, acid and yeah. And that was just it was so, always social, mm-hmm. um, but it, it had its effect. Yeah. And the the group you were hanging around, everybody was doing it, so that was quite common practice. Uh, That's right. Yeah, you, no one stood out because everybody was doing it. Yeah, well, most uh, people. Were most doing people were doing it. Most right. of my friends were doing it anyway. Yeah, sure. I remember there was one. There was one. Well, actually, there yeah, there was one 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 young guy. Um, Jason, his name was. Mm. Um, he was a Christian. He never participated. Um, and, yeah, he stood out for me. You know, I kind of had a lot of respect for him. Okay. Because I knew, you know, we were doing these things and we were having fun, but at the same time we were quite silly at times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he always seemed to. So he would hang around with you guys, but he just wouldn't participate in the, uh, the, the drugs. He, he'd, the... he'd come to, a par- you know, a couple of parties every now and again. You okay. Know? Yeah, we knew him from school. He'd come every now and again. He'd see him there. And, yeah, I, I always embraced him. I never, you know, tried to marginalize him or try mm. to influence him in any way. Sure. Yeah, okay. but he stood out. But uh, some of those uh, some of those uh, guys and girls that that we partied with, I mean, they were Christian too. <laughs> some okay. of them I only found out till later. You know, oh, they didn't know at the time at, at a school reunion. They uh, weren't that it, peculiar. No, that you could were. tell they were Christians. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, but that lifestyle really impacted me. Um, so your your early faith, your early childhood faith, 
uh, was that sort of almost uh, something that was sort of now part of the past and you, it wasn't really an essential now for what you were doing? Or we, was there still that element of faith and still that element of prayer in uh, your life at that stage? No, look, I, you know, I'd, I'd stop going to church, you know, um, regularly. Mm. Um, I'd go into, I'd, I'd still go to church once in a blue moon, but I would honestly say it was more, you know, just to acknowledge God and uh, mm. kind of feel good <laughs> a little bit, you know, like okay, kind of, right. okay, I've done that, you know. Right. I'm not completely gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, look, there was a, a definitely an internal struggle. There was an internal struggle, you know. I always remembered my childhood innocence, mm. and I, I valued that. I remembered saying I'd never drink, never smoke. And sometimes in the midst of, you know, some of these big nights that yes. we'd have, you know, early hours of the morning, I'd comment to my friends, you know what, I, I, I you know, I never came into this world with a, with a bottle of drink in one hand and a cigarette in the other, you yeah. know, and drugs in my system, you know, uh, you know, I wouldn't like to leave that way. So I believe the Holy Spirit was really having mm. a conviction. A conviction. So every now and then you'd have a flash of uh, of virtue and uh, you'd uh, do a small sermonette to your friends. <laughs> 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 and I'd tell them, I'm giving this up, I'm stopping smoking. Oh, seriously? You know? Okay. Yes. Were there other people similar to you that were saying similar things or were you sort of a little bit of a standout there amongst the group? No, I was a standout. And look, I never confessed my faith really to any of them. Sure. I, I never... I don't recall ever discussing my personal belief with any of those friends. Yes. I mean, it was always just the social group. Mm. And, and but some of those friends were also through Catholic school. You were still friends with some of those, you know, going through the parties and that? Or was that a, a just friendship circle shifted somewhat yeah. from that then? Well, look, I went through two high schools okay. here. So um, yeah, the first high school I think I mentioned before mm. um, was a Catholic boys' school right. on the northern beaches. And then from there, you know, that was at uh, Brookvale. And from there, I moved to Narrabeen and I went to a public school, Narrabeen Sports. Okay. I spent my last two years. So my social group changed. I still had some friends there, yeah. Right. yeah. But look, on, on, on both sides, yeah, we never really discussed s- spiritual things. Understand, okay. Yeah. Right, so you're obviously now very heavily involved in church. You stopped going to church. You said something changed somewhere along the ro- line. So what was it that put you on that pathway that you believe that started making that shift for you? Okay. Mm. Well, as I mentioned, you know, this struggle was taking place in my, in, you know, in my heart yeah. you know, between what was right and what was wrong. And I valued that innocence um, that mm. I had as a child. So I, yeah, I began to ask the big questions in life. You know, I began to you know, really, around the age of 20, I think, start to really... Um, soul search a little bit more. I was still doing what I was doing, mm. still partying. Um, but I began to, I, I recall actually having a conversation. You know, I, you know, I, at first I thought to myself, well, let me ask the big question now. Is there really a God? Mm. You know, I know I was taught that as a child and I'm, I'm sure I saw his hand uh, as a kid. Yes. And, and I said, but let me ask that. Let me ask that big question now, because when I look at the world, there's so many different religions. Mm. Even within Christianity, there's so many different churches by these different names. I really don't know what's going on. And so I try to be very logical and practical about it. Okay. And so as I thought about things and I saw the beauty of I remember just looking at nature around me that particular day. And I thought, well, you know, I see the beauty and I see the beauty in life and there's definitely a God, you know, and, and I said, mm. no, there's definitely a God. There mm. has to be a God, you know. This, 
life just works in such an amazing way. You know, yes. the cycle of life, mm. the miracle of a, the birth of a newborn baby, and so forth. So, were you married at the stage? No, no, okay. no, no. Still, still fairly young. Still yeah. twenty years old. Okay, twenty. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I decided. Uh, so actually, I looked up that day and I said, "Look, God, I believe you're there. Mm. I believe you're there." But I don't really know where, in a sense. Mm. I believe you're there. And so if you're there, you must have a revelation. I think you must have a revelation somewhere. But I don't know where to look because I don't think you'd want to be a God that would not want to be known. I think if you were there, you really were God. You'd want to be known, so you must have a revelation somewhere. So you're reasoning somewhere. this out in your mind. I'm reasoning this out, yeah. and I'm having this discussion. So then I said, so if you have this revelation, lead me to it because I don't know where to look. Mm. So that was my my little talk with God, and my little the exercise of my little faith. Yeah, and and this all triggered back to your upbringing and your faith, and seeing God actually intervene in your life at times and protecting you and answering your prayer. That's right. And wow. and and beyond that discussion, I you know started to notice little started to notice that His hand again. Mm. Uh, for example, you know I've been partying again in this particular. Um, Day was a weekday, but I thought, you know what, I haven't been for church for so long and kind of really just been so far away, you know, from uh, spirituality. So yeah. I said, no, I really, really need to get my life right. You know, I really need to get to go to God. Yeah. So I remember walking. I said, well, um, uh, yeah, so, sorry, that was my conviction. I remember walking past the church on that particular day. That's mm. right. So um, I didn't have an intention of actually going into the church, but I was walking past the church at that particular day, having these thoughts running around in my mind. And uh, it was like a still small voice said to me, you know, you need to go to confession. Because oh, okay. that was a Catholic practice, you know. Yes, yeah. But that was always done on Saturdays. You know, um, confession was always done on Saturdays, and then you go to Mass, mass on Sunday. On Sunday right. So, um, but this particular little voice said to me, you know, you've got to go to confession. Mm. And it was so distinct that I stopped. Mm. And I turned back and I looked at the church behind me and I thought, oh, well, there's no confession. It's Tuesday. And so I continued to walk and um, continued walking on. And then this little voice said, again, just you need to go to confession. Mm. And then I said, but, it, but yeah, it's Tuesday. And his voice said, but just check. And oh. so I turned back and I went, okay, well, I'll just, Oh well, if it's it's not on, probably anyway. I'll just have a prayer in the church. Right. So I walked into the church, and as I walked in, I noticed the light was on the confessional booth, oh. as if there was someone in there. And I thought, mm. oh, is there someone actually in there? There was no one else in the church. Mm. And I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll just priest, go into the confessional working booth. Time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what was going on. <laughs> but so I opened the door and went in, and sure enough, a voice spoke to me from the other side. Really? And so I said, okay, here's confession. So I confessed. And, mm. and I, I remember after that, the priest, before I left, he said, how did you know confession was on today? And I said, well, I didn't. Um, I said, I just came in. And he, mm. said, and he said to me, you should take that as a sign. He said that to you. And I don't know what that meant at the time, but yeah. I guess just a little, another signpost from God, you know, seeing mm. his hand. Mm. I mean, that's all I knew back then. Sure. That's all I knew sure. in terms of, you know, my, what Christianity looked like. Mm. Yeah, so little things like that would happen to me. Uh, another time in desperation under the influence of drugs. I, I, you know, I had a very bad experience on a particular drug. I was freaking out and wow. ended up running through the streets at one o'clock in the morning. And then I was praying to God to just make it stop, and it stopped. You know, so really, so you know, so I had that, and 
So it was enough there to keep me going mm, in faith. Mm. And then what I started to do also, I then uh, I would just, um, because of little things like that, what I'd start to do is just randomly every now and again, um, even after partying the night before, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd just tell my friends or tell my family, hey, I'm, I'm just... I'll be back soon. And I'd go out and I'd just find the closest church, whatever that was, didn't know what denomination it okay. was. But I'd just go and usually, you know, church was on Sunday mornings and, mm. and I'd just walk in, sit down at the back, listen, and then walk out straight mm. away at the end. Mm. And sometimes it was like God was really speaking to me wow. in that service. And and then I would also read. I started to read different religions. You know, I'd go to the library and read on Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam so you were looking for God, regardless of where, who God is or where it would lead you. You were just open. I was just you, open. That's and after right. you said that prayer that he should reveal himself, yes, you were now searching. Yeah, and I forgot about that prayer, but I was, I was just searching. Yeah, yeah. okay, searching. Yeah, so that that was my that was my journey. Mm. But at the same time, my lifestyle was killing me. You know, right. So there was. Uh, I remember something particular happened. I was. Uh, I was under the influence of drugs. I was sitting at a friend's house, mm. and it was our kind of regular Friday night get-together. Okay. And um, as I was sitting there, um, this, uh, one of the commandments popped into my mind. It said, uh, thou shalt not kill. Mm. And I, you know, I was thinking, where did that come from? But as I meditated on that commandment, I realized I'm killing myself. You know, and this, this, this couple of incidences like this really built up the conviction mm. and drove me to try and quit drugs and quit smoking. And so I tried and tried and tried. Now, yeah. the struggle went over, you know, I'm, I may have lose, lost a bit of context here, but the struggle was really over about 10 years. Wow. You know, so, I mean, I began when I was 17, mm. you know, so, and there were many times I tried to stop, but that came up, you know, and I, I, I got a picture of myself in hospital you know, maybe with cancer or whatever it was in the family yeah. coming to visit me and the shame of it all. And I thought, no, I've got to stop. Wow. Um, I had uh, that lifestyle also led to some issues in the family. Mm. Um, uh, you know, finishing school, uh, my mum and dad went through a very rough patch mm. and actually split up uh, mm. at the time. Uh, but uh, they had a fallout with my mum uh, at, at the time as well. Yeah. And uh, got kicked out of home as a result. Oh, yeah. So I was out on my own as well. Right. I was out on my own, and there was a lot of, um, yeah. I mean, if God's really not truly at the form, I mean, you know, all kinds of things happen to your mm. life, you know. Mm. So um, yeah, I remember being down at Dy Beach one night, just wondering why my life was in such a mess. I ended up without a place to stay at the time. I didn't have much money, and didn't really have a home to go to. Mm. Uh, Mum had kicked me out. My dad was living with someone. I didn't feel comfortable going over there. And I remember crying out to God this particular evening, saying, "God, what's going on in my life?" You know, mm. I think it was, I was probably about yeah, 22, 23. I can't remember quite yeah, remember right. at the time. You know, what's going on in my life? My life's a mess. And I just and I thought of my mum, and I just blamed her. You know, I just said, you know, mm. if she didn't, you know, I just hate her, God. I just hate her. Mm. And again, what happened was the commandment came to mind. Honor your father and your mother. Now I learned these commandments as a kid at school, you know. Is that right? And that's coming popping into your head. And it's popping into my head, and I'm and I'm, and so I have this dialogue with God there, mm. and uh, you know I'm saying you know how, and I realize it's one of God's commandments, and I say, okay, well you know God, how could I, you know how could I honor her? Yeah. And He says because I commanded you to do that. Wow. 
and I'm and I'm having this dialogue. And I'm thinking, no, what, yeah. what do you mean, God? Like, there's no. She kicked me out of my home. My life's a mess, mm. and uh, I don't even have a home because of her. You know, I know you commanded me, God, but how? How could I possibly do it? And God mm. said, forgive her. And I said, how could I forgive her, God? And He said, because I commanded you to do it. Right. And at that point, I, I kind of reasoned, mm. and I realized I was either going to let God be God or turn away from that altogether. Right. Yes. You know? yeah. And and God God kind of gave me a loophole here. Mm. And, uh, and I said, well, God, you know I can't possibly forgive her, but because you commanded me to do it, I'm going to do it. And I forgave her, and oh, I cried like a baby that evening wow. or that night. And... Um, and you were homeless, basically. That did you find a place to stay? Or? I, I did. I did. did yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, but it began, I guess, uh, the process of, of you know, healing that relationship with my mother. In that the was the years. night it started. The, that was the night it started. I mean, I didn't tell her about that sure, the next time. Yeah. So, but I wouldn't speak to her or didn't want anything to do with her up until that stage. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so there was a lot going on in my life. Um, the Look, the drugs really kind of got the better of me, and mm. particularly marijuana. You know, most people regard it as quite a passive drug, mm. and I did too, but I became an addict, you know. And right. I, I was, yeah, I was smoking it often. Mm-hmm. It was very easy to get, just make a phone call, have someone drop it around to your house. So, right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that sta- well, by that stage I'd met Kim, uh, who later became my wife, but, mm. you know, we were... We were together, and uh, we ended up living together as well. Mm. And um, but yet yeah, it, it it was having its effect even on our relationship. Sure. Yeah, and uh, eventually it got to the point where, I, you know, I try to give up and I try to stop so many times. But um, this is the marijuana in particular. The marijuana in particular. Okay. Was, and and when I marijuana, then I would smoke cigarettes like a chimney, and as well, you know, kind of one wow. leads to the other. Yeah. Still drink. And you look such a healthy looking person now. It's hard to <laughs> hard to imagine. <laughs> I know you wouldn't you wouldn't pick it, eh? No, not at all. Wow. So, yeah. So that was yeah that was t- really taken its toll. Mm. Um, now I mentioned before I'd gone through a number of different jobs. I yes. didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, well, I, I took up uh, some acting classes and okay. I started to do some, um, you know, some extra work. You know, just some background work on movies and mm-hmm. short film. Um, yeah, that, and I felt that maybe that's where I wanted to go. You know, I thought, okay, okay this is. You know, I always loved movies. Sure. I, I didn't mention this, but you know, I, in South Africa, I did martial arts as a kid, and I continued mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, through through the years, and mm. I loved martial arts, and I thought, well, it'd be great if I could combine that, you know, action movies. And you could be the new Jean Claude Van Damme or something. <laughs> yeah. or, uh, yeah. <laughs> I had those aspirations. Oh, you? You know? <laughs> okay. Aware of the Australian industry, you know, it's yeah. a bit tougher, but uh, yeah, that was the path I was on. Um, I guess things. Re- I'll I'll tell you now where things really changed for me was a big Hollywood blockbuster came to Sydney. It was called The Matrix. Right, okay. Um, the movie The Matrix, and it was being filmed at Fox Studios at the time. Mm. So, um, yeah, my agent sent me along. I auditioned, and I, I got some work on The Matrix. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I remember t- turning up on set that day, and it was quite a sight to behold. Mm. The scene that we were shooting was a... Um, was a fetish scene, a fetish scene. So that involves, you know, people kind of dressed up in their leathers and, you know, st- 
studs and earrings going through every part of your body. And, wow. Um, it was a very dark scene. It was a very mm. sexual scene as well. Okay. It involved erotic dancing and so forth. But this was a scene that was in the movie. Mm. Well, when I turned up on the day, um, it, it wasn't so much that there were actors there that were also part of the scene, but the, the actual fetish scene of Sydney had heard about this movie and had auditioned. So they came in okay. all their regalia. and So the ones who don't just act, the ones who live that that lifestyle. live that lifestyle were there. Yeah, wow. So when I turned up on the set, there were people whipping each other and people were walking around with their private parts, hanging out. It was, yeah, quite a, quite a sight to behold. And, wow. And look, having been, you know, in the industry, dabbling in the entertainment industry, I had a friend who was a makeup artist and, you know, I, I mm. kind of got to know some of them already. Yes. So, um, so I recognized some of them when I turned up. But uh, there was another company of people there that looked vastly different to the rest. Uh, there was probably about five of them. And uh, I remember a couple of the ladies on the day of my audition, and they recognized me as well. And I kind of gravitated toward them. Mm. And they were just such lovely people. Mm. And they seemed to have something that I didn't have. Mm. And as I continued talking to them, I realized that they were Christians. Were they there as part of the... They were part, uh, yeah, of that scene. Well, they, they would just come and jump and you know, do a little bit of extra work. The, um, okay. One of the guys from that group, it's, his wife was the agent and was my agent, as it turned out. Okay. So right, I right. met her husband. So these were the normal-looking people amongst this group of people that were quite odd. That's right. That's okay. right. And, you know, getting to know them through that week, I just saw peace and a joy and and they were not into the lifestyle in, you know, in any real way that like I was, you know. So, okay. and I just thought, well, you know, I need some of that, you know, that's mm. what I've been looking for. And I hope it rubs off, you know, I've got to get to know these yeah. people better. Um, but that's the impression they made on me. Mm. And... Uh, as a result of that, I, um, particularly the one lady, Fiona, mm. that I met, I uh, saw on the day of the edition, we really connected and we started talking and yeah. she asked me about my faith and things like that, you know, my lifestyle. So I, I shared a few things with her yeah. and some of my challenges. And by the end of the week, it was just a one-week shoot. Um, yeah, we... Uh, well, actually, I should backtrack. I missed something. Okay. I missed go, something. Go okay. Yeah. So for the first couple of days, I really enjoyed my time with them. Mm. And, uh, but coming home on that Tuesday, that was the Monday and the Tuesday, coming home on the Tuesday, I realized, uh, you, know, I can't, you know, I can't get high. I can't do drugs while I'm with these people. You know, they're, they're in a different, a different category altogether. Sure. I don't want to mess that up. Mm. So um, I, I said, I've got to stay clean this week. Well, that was... Easier said than done. Oh. So um, I, um, yeah, by the time Wednesday rolled around, you know, Tuesday night I was, I'd already, uh, you know, dabbled again. Mm. And uh, I, Wednesday morning as well, you know, the addiction was so strong that I just smoked and got high again. And right. then, then I realized I, could, I couldn't go to work and face them. And that was probably the lowest point I'd ever come to. Um, I, was really, really angry with myself. I was, I, I, I had a sincere self-hate mm. at that point that I'd never experienced before. Wow. And as a result, I remember looking up and saying to God, 
that's it. I give up. I've tried and tried and tried, and I just can't do it anymore. I'm tired. I give up. Mm. And what I meant by that was I give up. From, I give up trying now. Mm. I am what I am, and I said I am what I am now, mm. and I'm just not going to work. And uh, I accept that I'm a drug addict. I'll accept that I'm am what I am. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why I looked up and said that. You know, it was. I guess just acknowledging. Yeah. I, look, the Holy Spirit, I believe, at that time was working, mm. even though I didn't really know about the Holy Spirit. And, But immediately after saying that, my head cleared immediately. I found sobriety, and oh, I was really? quite surprised by it all. And I thought, well, I don't know what happened, but I can go to work. Mm. So I went to work. So I continued for the next few days. And for the next three days, I managed to stay clean. Right. Um. On the Friday, so by giving up, you actually found some strength somehow. Uh, I wouldn't <laughs> say that I was hanging on, but, but for three days, and three you, days I stayed. You couldn't last previously, but you had three days afterwards. I had three days clean. Yeah, it just seems quite paradoxical, but yeah, go ahead. I'm sure the, God was giving yeah. me strength, even though I didn't realize it. Sure. Um, but the Friday night, we were getting ready to say goodbye. And uh, so I, I walked Fiona to the car park. It was dark. Mm. Uh, the rest of the crew was still partying on, having mm. drinks and so forth after the shoot. And it was nighttime. So being a gentleman, I said, I'll walk you to your car. Make sure you get there safe, safely. So um, I did that. And as a result, uh, so, well, once we said goodbye, Fiona then said, Andrew, you know, you've shared a couple of things with me this week. She said, I'm a little bit embarrassed to ask, Andrew, but do you, would you mind if I say a prayer for you? Mm. And I said to Fiona, well, and I paused, and then I thought about how I'd given up already this week. I felt life was over for me. Mm. And I thought to myself, well, she has no idea I've already given up. And uh, she said, well, you know, even though I'm embarrassed to ask, I'd like to say this prayer for you. And I looked at her and I said, whatever's going to help, whatever's going to help. Mm. And that was my surrender, although I didn't know it. Yeah, I didn't know what surrender meant. Sure. But I said, whatever's going to help. And I realized there was nothing left for me at that stage. And so she said, this prayer, wonderful prayer, God, you know, come into Andrew's life, Lord, and you know his challenges and meet his needs. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. She uh, asked God to come into your life. Come into my life. Pray. Wow. And that prayer really touched me. You know, mm. I, I didn't know people did that. I never had anyone pray for me before. Yeah, yeah. But she jumped in a car after that and she left. And uh, what happened next was quite supernatural. I, um, something started to uh, overwhelm me, and it was a sense of love. Mm. And uh, it was like wave after wave of love, very powerful love, you know, coming upon me. And as it got stronger, I realized not what it was, but who it was. Mm. And uh, there was no mistake in it. But it was, I realized I was in the presence of God. Wow. I'd never, ever had anything like that before. Mm. Um, I was completely shocked by it. You're still in the car park at the stage? I'm still in the car park there by myself yeah. at night, completely shocked. And it just keeps coming, gets stronger and stronger. And uh, really, it was God pouring his Holy Spirit on me. And that's the only, I mean, I came to understand that later on. Mm. But uh, I was quite shocked when I realized who it was and... I said something like, oh, God, you know, I didn't know you were real. I didn't know you were real. Mm. And then that voice that had convicted me as in the case with my mother and the commandments and me sitting in my friend's house was there again. And uh, he said, I've always been there. Mm. And when he said those words, it was like my whole life passed before my eyes. 
and I realized, mm. oh, that means you've, you've seen everything I've done. And I was overcome with shame. I was still shocked by the presence of God yeah. and at the same time being overcome by shame. And it was this turmoil of emotions that was running through my, mm. through my mind. And, um, and I said, well, that means you've seen everything I've done. And, yeah. and God said, yeah, that's okay. I love you. Mm. And I, my, my immediate response was, well, how could you love me, God? How could you love me? Mm. And he said, well, because I forgive you. And that shocked me. Mm. How could you forgive? So this is all happening in your mind as you this is all happening. experience. This, in these this, thoughts are coming through your yeah, mind. Yeah, and I'm having this discussion, mm. not verbally as sure. we are, but certainly in my mind having mm. this discussion and mm. getting a response. And, uh, yeah, that uh, – and it was as if God just embraced me there, you know, with this love. Mm. And, um, and when he said, you know, I forgive you, that just really struck home struck home mm. because I was thinking how could you forgive me you know and he said again because I love you and I fell down on my knees in the car park and cried mm. and I cried for shame and the guilt of my lifestyle the people I'd hurt mm. um, the abuses I've indulged in that very self-centered selfish self-focused lifestyle that I'd lived and um and at the same time, I cried tears of joy because I had this assurance of God's forgiveness. Mm. And it was there and it was sure and there was no denying it. And uh, so I cried. I don't know how long I was there. I think I was probably on my knees for about 10 minutes, Etienne. Sure. Finally got up, mm. weeping like a baby, got in my car, thought I got to go home and drove home, cried all the way home, walked into my my unit where I was staying with Kim at the time and she realized something had happened and mm. I was still crying. And uh, all I could say was, I don't know how to explain this, but, you know, God came to me tonight. Mm. God came to me tonight in the car park. And uh, after that, I, you know, it was a whole, whole different experience. In that experience, it was like a, a supernatural healing had taken place on the inside of me. It was like mm. I was completely fulfilled, completely satisfied those desires for all the things that I'd been engaging, you know, the addiction and everything went. Wow. It, it went immediately. I didn't have that desire. I had this joy unspeakable that mm. was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before and a love that I'd never, ever experienced before. And from that day on, I just had a whole different outlook at life. It was like my eyes were opened. Incredible. And, you know, Jesus calls that being born again. Yes. Being born again. So what age were you now when this happened? I believe I was 29, 29, 29 years of age. So 12 years after you sort of started down that party yeah. scene. and Yes, that's right. Wow. And Kim's response, uh, was she a believer? Did she have a Christian background herself? Did she? she had a nominal faith like I did mm. um, up until that point. Uh, I don't think she really knew what to do with it. She just had to take it in her stride sure. and accept it. Um, but there were yeah, definite changes in our lifestyle mm. from there on. You know, I didn't really want to go and do those things that I was doing before yeah, and engage in that lifestyle. Mm. Um, I'd found, um, you know, if I'd found God, I'd found that love and I'd found a, a freedom, you know, freedom. And from that point on, I started to, um, 
I mean, I, I even rang up the lady, actually, that prayed for me. I rang her up, I think, the next day. I said, Fiona, you know, something happened to me. I don't know how to explain it, but something happened to me in the car park. Mm. After you left, I said, it's uh, as if God came to me and I, you know, I met God in the car park, you know, and mm. I was crying as I was speaking to her. And she said, wow. And she understood. It was like she accepted that. Yeah. And she said, well, God must really have a purpose for your life. Is that right? And those words always, mm. you know, rang, rang in my ears from that day forth. Mm. From that point on, I didn't know what to do. I was, you know, walking around with joy, walking with God, talking to him like I'm talking to you. I said, God, what do I do? You know, I didn't know the Bible. I wasn't yeah. settled in any church or anything like that at this stage. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I said, what do I do? Uh, and this particular day, we're in Bankstown, and uh, there was a charity store there. And God said, Go give to charity. <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> Pulled all my money out that I'm going to buy half this charity stall. And mm. I just bought a whole heap of stuff. And uh, and what happened was uh, this was uh, this was the next – actually, this was like the next week after my conversion experience. Right. Okay. So what happened uh, after that is I walked away from the charity store, um, heard a voice say, excuse me. I turned around and was a lady standing there at that mm. stall, and she, uh, and she said, "Excuse me, do you have a moment?" And I, and I said, "Yeah, sure." And she said, um, "I just want to ask you a question." And I said, "Yeah, what's that?" And she said, "Do you believe in God by any chance?" And I said to her, "It's funny you ask that, because I'm just starting to look that way." Wow. And so she said, "Well, I have something for you," and she gives me this book. And she said, I think this will be a, uh, you know, I think you'll enjoy this. This will be a blessing to you. And I said, how much? She said, no, it's free. I said, I said oh. oh, thank you. And I walked away from there with this double blessing. Not only had I given, but I'd received. And uh, it was at that time that my wife um, uh, was offered a job with Qantas. I mm. mentioned she was a flight attendant yes, earlier. Yeah. And, but she had to move to Melbourne. Mm. And so she asked me if I'd go with her. Well, that meant, you know, no more movies and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But I had this new lease on life, so yeah. I wasn't too worried. And mm -hmm. I said, well, okay, you've been there supporting me through all my thick and thin and all my rubbish. Yeah. Okay, let's go. And so I went down there. And this book that this woman gave me became really my Bible for the next two years. Mm. And uh, as I was reading this book, I kept saying to my wife, you have to read this book. It's written by this lady. And uh, she's gifted. Yeah. I, she, no one could write like this. She just has detail mm. that I don't think it's uncanny. Like no one could write. I said, it's on the life of Jesus. Okay. It's written by a lady by the name of Ellen White. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'd never heard of Seventh-day Adventists at this stage. Yeah, yeah. So for two years, that was my Bible. Two years later, we came back up to Sydney. Her work brought her up and then my work brought me up. Um, and... Uh, she, we got a fly in the letterbox one day, and she invited us to. So she she asked me um, if we would go to um, some meetings, some Christian meetings that were being held in the local town hall as a result of this flyer. So, uh, so the same lady or another lady? No, no it's Kim. Sorry, Kim. Oh, so Kim said, yeah, Kim got a fly in the letterbox. She said, Andrew, do you want to? Uh, do you want to uh, go to uh, see right. this, you know go to these meetings? I was a bit okay. reluctant. Mm -hmm. It had Antichrist, six six six, you know, Mark of the Beast, okay. <laughs> all these kinds of <laughs> topical sermons. But uh, eventually, I said yes. I think the meetings were being held over a period of about five weeks. Mm. It was an evangelism series. Okay, 
Um, I didn't know what that was at the time. But uh, we've, by the time I decided, yes, it was the last night. Mm. And when we turned up there the last night, on the last night, the topic that this American preacher was preaching, a man by the name of Maurice Berry, uh, was the gift of prophecy and, uh, and the remnant church. Okay. And as I listened, and he covered some things, some questions that I had in my mind already. He covered some of those topics. I felt like I was getting a whole lot of answers that night. And then mm. on top of that, he mentioned the Seventh-day Adventist church and the gift of prophecy as manifest in the writings of Ellen G. White. Mm. Well, that just struck me. Wow. So, um, so you didn't know that the book you'd been reading was connected to the programs that you were just that's right. Well, that night you were attending. Yeah, and he mentioned the messages you're hearing is from the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Mm. Well, that kind of that was my entry into the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Wow! And really coming to have good Bible knowledge and mm. and that's really where. So this is about two years later now that this happened. That was about after two years the later. car park experience. That's right. Wow. Well, that set me on the on the path now of a, you know very practical Christian walk with God, yes. spending time in his word every day. Um, the messages I heard as well, uh, I bought that series of meetings on cassette yeah. Yeah. and I listened to one every day and went through okay. the whole series. I'd never heard anything like it. Mm. And I knew then the time we were living in, uh, the end time prophecies, and uh, that gave me a burden then to actually want to share that with others. And that kind of commenced my journey into eventually what would be pastoral ministry. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, Andrew, that is a fantastic testimony. And it's the first time I've heard it. I only had just some of the basics on that. But I want to praise God for your testimony, what he's done in your life, your leading from your childhood through to now. Obviously, there's more to tell, more to the story, but we're out of time. So, dear listener, if you would like more information or have any questions, you're welcome to contact us on 3ABN Australia Radio. You can call us on 249 Seven three three four five six, or you can email us. Send the email to radio at three abn australia dot org dot au. Until next time. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.